Academy podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Shalom Agdarab. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. To learn more about the Academy, visit academy.upperroom.org. The wisdom guide we hear from today is Dan Wolpert, the author of multiple spiritual formation books and is executive director and co-founder of MICA, the Minnesota Institute for Contemplation and Healing. He is spouse, partner, ally, activist, and dad. Dan has been a student of the spiritual life since age 21 and has taught in the fields of psychology and spiritual formation in numerous settings. In addition to his retreat and teaching work, Dan provides counseling and spiritual direction services at MICA. I'll also add from recent check-in text messages with him, he is quite enjoying the role of grandpa as well. Dan for me is one of the white guys who gets it. And not in an arrogant, mansplaining kind of way. Not in an empire-building kind of way. Dan and many other spiritual leaders who practice deep attentiveness to spirit are wisdom guides who, through the academy, remind us of a spiritual tradition that paid attention to the seasons, looked to elders for wisdom, and moved with community. And if we are willing to drink from these ancient wells, the spirit will disarm us of material and emotional violence. The spirit will reveal what is just and unjust. The spirit will bring us back to our bodies and remind us that what we need is already here. Listen on, dear one. And as you listen, breathe deeply and expand gently as we draw from wells that our ancestors drew from, that the cloud of witnesses drew from, in search of wisdom. You know, I live uh, in the Upper Plains, and this is an area, of course, that, uh, as with many places uh, in this continent, uh, was very heavily populated with Native folks, uh, most of whom uh, were moved or killed uh, over the last uh, couple hundred years. And uh, I've been, been blessed to, to get to know uh, a number of wonderful uh, wise elders uh, in the Dakota and Anishinaabe tradition. And one of the things when, when they uh, start presenting or talking uh, where you're with them in a situation, they will often begin uh, by addressing the question, who are your people? Uh, which I think particularly uh, for those of us uh, in the, the white majority culture, uh, who in many ways have traded our uh, ancestry uh, for uh, whiteness, which is kind of this nebulous non-culture in a way, uh, we, we tend to have lost that disconnection and uh, that, that connection. we become disconnected from this notion of our people. And uh, so one of the things for me uh, that, that has been very important in my spiritual life uh, really is connecting deeply with the reality that 
that my people uh, are uh, the people that all of these uh, scriptures and, and texts and things come from, right? My people are the 12 tribes of Israel. And, uh, and, a, and a number of folks, when they find out uh, that that's my background, they say, well, why have you changed your religion? And I say, well, I haven't changed my religion. Uh, you know, Jesus is my uh, 20th cousin once removed, and uh, this, is, this is my family. <laughs> and so, uh, so these, these ancient, particularly Hebrew scriptures, you know, these are the stories of, of the people that, that I am descended from as they are trying to understand uh, the nature of reality and, and how God works with the world. And so I want to pick up uh, this, this wisdom theme. Uh, I also want to talk about uh, the, the, the current age. So in, in this wisdom passage, that we heard this morning, uh, one of the, the central aspects of this, of course, is that wisdom, uh, the, the person of wisdom, the reality of wisdom, the nature of wisdom, is intimately involved with creation, right? is intimately involved with the natural world, the bringing about of the natural world, the bringing about of the creatures, the bringing about of the human race, and, and the, the play, right? The wisdom as this master craftswoman, uh, that's, that's usually how that phrase in Hebrew is translated. We, we actually don't really know what, what the sort of real Hebrew meaning of that phrase is. Uh, we, we get that translation from some of the other ancient languages. But, but there's something about this uh, creative being, right, who is having fun, uh, and, and I like the English translation we heard, uh, fun, today. Um, many of the other translations would be things like delight uh, or wonder or enjoyment, right? So there is this incredible uh, love of uh, being in relationship with creation. And with all of the beings in creation uh, being in relationship with each other. And that this is, this is the order uh, that, that God uh, desires. And this is the order within which wisdom uh, organizes everything, brings everything into being. And we hear at the end of that passage, of course, that, that if we are seeking wisdom, uh, if we are listening to wisdom, uh, we find life, uh, and if uh, we are ignoring wisdom, right, this, uh, this, this hit phrase here, um, uh, if we miss wisdom, I like that. It's like, you know, wisdom went by, oh, missed it. <laughs> if we miss wisdom, uh, we find death. And, and, uh, and if we think about uh, the time that we're in, you know, so what is this present age that we're in? And, and at the end of uh, this morning's session, Gregory started hinting at this a little bit. Uh, we are obviously in a time of, of tremendous disequilibrium uh, and death. So we are in this time where our relationship with the rest of the created world 
uh, is shown to be uh, severely disordered. And much of this, of course, is connected to the mindset uh, of, of what uh, many people have talked about as empire, right? That, uh, that when people and our separate ego selves run amok and try to accumulate uh, things for ourselves endlessly, right? This greed that Gregory talked about this morning. Uh, we build these massive empires <clears throat> that create these, these, these uh, disequilibrium states. And the, the most recent manifestation of empire, particularly in, in uh, the United States and what we call the Western world, and uh, is this uh, empire of colonization. And that, uh, <clears throat> that the Europeans, uh, you know, decided that basically they owned the world. Uh, they divided it up among the different countries of Europe and said, yeah, go out and uh, take over and extract wealth and extract peoples. And if anybody gets in your way, uh, just, you know, kill them. And, uh, and so that uh, has been done on a massive scale. And the central spiritual issue of this uh, entire movement right, is this notion, uh, which is not a new notion, right? I mean, it, it, if you look at the Tower of Babel story, it's a, it's a very old notion. This notion that uh, people, we get it in our heads that we are equivalent to God. And that uh, we are you know, the masters of the universe, uh, and that we can uh, do whatever we want. And, and this is this missing of wisdom. Uh, we, we bypass uh, the wisdom of the created order, uh, and, and we, we create this uh, giant mess. And uh, one, of the, one of the great uh, stories about this, and this was made into a movie in 1985, now, so one of the places that, that colonists came to, of course, was uh, Australia and the Australian continent. And, uh, and so, you know, the white folks uh, came there and, you know, said similar kinds of things that they said about North America, right? That there was no one there, that it was empty, that they had discovered it. Um, that there were just these, oh yeah, there were some uncivilized people there uh, and they were there to civilize it. Uh, and, um, and so one of the things that happened after uh, the, the British had arrived there for a while is that these two fellows uh, named Burke and Wills, those were their last name, they decided that they were going to be the first people and this is how, you know, this is the arrogance, right, of colonization. They were going to be the first people to travel to the northern coast of Australia. Now, never mind that there had been people on this continent for, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of years who had all traveled to the, the northern coast of Australia. These two British guys uh, were going to be the first people to get there. And in typical colonist fashion, 
they put together their expedition, which consisted of all these wagons filled with, uh, you know, china and pottery and the, the little tea kettles, and they had their biscuits and British tea and, and all this stuff. And they set out uh, into the desert. And uh, every one of them, except for one person, uh, died and ended up starving to death. And, uh, and, and one person uh, made it back, literally you know, crawled out of the desert, uh, almost dead, to report about what happened. Now, this movie that, that, shows, uh, that shows this expedition uh, does a really wonderful job of contrasting the incredible arrogance and foolishness of these white explorers with the indigenous people that they encounter along the way. And so uh, they will find uh, a billabong, you know, one of these uh, water sources. And so there the British people are, you know, filling up their canteens and eating their biscuits and becoming more and more malnourished. And they show uh, an Aboriginal person there uh, with a spear uh, fishing in the billabong, pulling out these giant four foot long fishes which the uh, explorers uh, declined to have. Right? And there's one great scene in the movie where it's very late in the expedition. Many of the people have died already. You know, they're sitting there like sharing their last little morsels of biscuits. And here are these Aboriginal people camped literally 200 yards away, having this massive barbecue uh, with these various little kangaroos and wallabies and things that they've hunted. Uh, and, you know, of course, they're just fine, and as they have been for tens of thousands of years. And to me, this story uh, and, and the visual of it in the film is a great uh, example of this fundamental spiritual and social and psychological disconnection that colonization has created in uh, white uh, dominant uh, culture and peoples. And we've become disconnected from ourselves, from nature, from the other people around us, from our history, from our peoples, and most primarily, of course, from God, uh, from wisdom uh, itself. And so one of the things that in this time uh, we are uh, talking about and rediscovering uh, is what does it mean what does it mean to connect deeply uh, with this ancient wisdom? What does it mean to do that? Uh, what does it mean to reform ourselves, right? So we're at, at the Academy for Spiritual Formation, right? So we understand that formation is something that happens to us as human beings. We, uh, whether we're conscious of it or not, we're formed into something. And if we are formed into colonization, and the culture of colonization, the society of colonization, and the religion of colonization. If we are formed into that, uh, as we engage uh, in this paying attention, in this uh, kind of practice, uh, as we look at this disequilibrium time, what we have the opportunity to do uh, is to ask the kinds of uh, 
questions that many people in these videos uh, and that Gregory highlighted this morning, right? What are the wells that we are drinking out of? What are the wells that we're drinking? So if we are drinking the well of colonization, right? If we are drinking essentially this kind of poisoned water uh, that is not only uh, killing us, but uh, but is uh, destabilizing the entire ecology of the planet. Uh, how can we become aware of that and, and start to drink uh, a different kind of water? Different kind of water. And again, when we hear these ancient uh, Hebrew scriptures and these ancient stories of what, uh, of what the people are aware of, uh, we begin to understand that, uh, that these people that lived in uh, what we might call pre-literate, pre-industrial uh, times, um, actually, you know, weren't so dumb. <laughs> they weren't so dumb. Right? This notion of being uncivilized um, is, is a abhorrent notion. Right? And... Um, and so, uh, you know, again, out of the uh, Australian context, and, you know, we're seeing this more out of uh, some indigenous contexts here. We're seeing this out of indigenous contexts from Africa, from all over the world. Uh, what we are hearing is this deep uh, wisdom connection, right? These, these very ancient wells that are full of life-giving water, right? Because of course, these were all peoples that, um, you know, and, and, and uh, earlier during the comment time, folks were talking about the doing rather than being, right? And, uh, you know, if you think about an ancient person right, with, with no uh, iPhone, with no internet, with no uh, stuff to do, with no factory to go to, with no widgets to produce, you know, what, what are they spending their time doing? Well, a lot of what they're spending their time doing is just hanging out and paying attention, right? Just listening deeply, you know, going around and looking at different plants and looking at different animals and saying, you know, gee, is this one good to eat? Is this one poisonous? Like, what, what is this? Is this one, can this heal me? Can this help? Right? And, and that very deep listening, and one of the, one of the folks that, uh, that people have uh, been learning from uh, recently is uh, an Australian woman, you can look her up. Uh, her name is Dr. Miriam Rose, and she is this wonderful uh, elder, Aboriginal elder. And she has been teaching uh, in Australia this uh, contemplative practice, essentially, coming out of her tradition. Uh, which is called the Didi, and it's not spelt that way. It's, uh, I'll put it in the chat here. Um, it looks like the Diri, but it's actually pronounced the Didi. And it, it simply means uh, listening. And, you know, you can, uh, she's got a bunch of uh, videos you can listen to. And, uh, you know, again, she's this clearly very wise elder and one of the great uh, things that she talks about is that part of this deep listening uh, has to do with uh, breath, 
And, and she says uh, that, that to breathe with me is to know me. And I just love that, right? And of course, uh, in the Hebrew tradition, you know, breath and spirit of life are seen as one and the same, are, are spoken of uh, a great deal together, right? And we know that we're not the only ones that breathe, right? All these, these animals breathe, plants breathe, um, you know, insects breathe, right? And, and we are all breathing together. The planet is breathing together. And do we take time uh, to breathe with one another? And do we, uh, you know, and, and I think that this is part of this process of decolonization. If, if I, as this white person, think that I am superior, that I am the best, that I know more, that these other people are less than, uh, right? Am I ever going to be in loving relationship with them? Well, no, I'm not. Uh, I've seen just evidence of that over and over. Right. But, but if I recognize that, oh, no, I am part of this wisdom ecosystem that has been created, that when I sit and breathe, I'm not just breathing with all of you, I'm breathing with the grass outside and the trees and, you know, the annoying little gophers that I can't stand because they make these piles of dirt all over the place, um, you know, uh, but, I'm, but I'm breathing with them. Right? I'm breathing with them. I'm in a relationship with them. Right? And all of this becomes uh, incredibly uh, healing. It becomes incredibly healing. And, um, uh, and so when we're talking about the spiritual life uh, in terms of what is happening now in this time of, of disequilibrium, uh, we really... Uh, have to be talking about uh, this wilderness space, right? We have to be talking about the fact, because, see, this is the amazing thing about colonization. I mean, you know, for all its pitfalls, right, colonization has been very good at what it does, right? It, you know, pinky in the brain, right, and taking over the world, <laughs> right? It's very good at this, you know, and it's very good at going everywhere, and grabbing everything and taking everything and co-opting everything and using everything. And this, this happens with spirituality too, right? So, so spirituality <clears throat> isn't necessarily about transformation. Spirituality just becomes another commodification, right? So now I learn uh, mindfulness and spirituality, uh, not for the transformation of the world, but so that I can be a better worker in my factory. Right? I, I learn spirituality so that I can just tune out and avoid pain. Uh, I learn spirituality so that I can get better at dissociating. <laughs> right? and, and when things get hard, I, I've got my mindfulness and I, I just zone out. Right? <clears throat> well, this is not what, uh, <clears throat> what spirituality uh, for uh, following God is really about. Right? But, but the challenge is, you see, and, and, and this great examination of Exodus that we heard this morning, <clears throat> in order to move from slavery, in order to move from you know, drinking of poisonous wells to uh, a place that is life-giving, 
uh, we, we have to move through this wilderness. Right? We have to move through this time of uncertainty. And there are a couple of things that that, that really uh, requires. <clears throat> and I think, again, we've seen uh, the, the great example and need for this. So, you know, one of the things, and, and Gregory mentioned this about leadership this morning, you know, it requires grounded elders, right? Grounded elders who can point the way. Uh, you know, one of the things about the pandemic time that I've just been incredibly aware of it right, was how the, the level of anxiety that was unleashed. I, I don't know, you know, it's hard, time is weird. We don't, we don't really have time anymore. <laughs> what year is it? What day is it? Who knows how much time has passed? But, you know, if you think back to the beginning of the pandemic, I, mean, I was just so struck by the level of anxiety that was all around me. You know, the people that were contacting me, the, the communication that was going on, the, just the absolute terror that was out there. And of course, that was spinning out all kinds of completely groundless, uh, horrible activity and behavior. And that, you know, and that's still going on. We're still living with that. Right? <clears throat> you know, all of us here connect with all kinds of people and communities. Uh, are, are we people who, who are grounded elders and wise people that, that can help lead others through the wilderness, right? Are, are we people who are not afraid of the wilderness? We're not afraid of our own minds. We're not afraid of our own experiences. Right? Um, and because one of the things that is incredibly clear right now uh, as well, is the, the massive destabilization that is happening with young people. I, I know that uh, probably all of you have some connection to young people or you're hearing something about that or you've, you've worked with them or you have kids, grandkids. Um, I mean, young people, they are looking at this climate destabilization and they're, they're absolutely terrified. You know, and they look at somebody like me and they say, well, you know, you're old, like you're going to make it out of here. <laughs> right? You know, uh, this is my life. This is my reality. Um, you know, I look at my sons who are young men right around 30. Uh, you know, one of them's thinking about having kids. You know, they're, they're looking at this and going, oh, my gosh, you know, what what is going on? What is going on? And, uh, and having wise elders who, uh, who are willing to go through this uh, wilderness experience and are willing to switch which wells they drink from right, uh, is incredibly uh, helpful. Right? It's incredibly heartening. Uh, and, and it's not even that, that uh, they're necessarily looking for the absolute answers or the absolute certainty. They know that nobody has the answers to these things. They know that in a disequilibrium time, we have no idea where we're going or what things are going to be like. Right? But they want communities of elders to be with along the way. Right? They want people who are real and present, who haven't just uh, checked out and just said, oh, well, you know, yeah, I, I'm old. 
I, I've got mine. I'm just gonna, you know, party until uh, until it gets too hot, um, <laughs> and and then I'm gonna die, and it's fine anyway. How can we be uh, present for uh, the folks around us and for the next generation? Uh, you know, one of the videos, uh, our dear friend Matthew Williams uh, was the guest, and uh, he's the, the president of the seminary uh, ITC down in Atlanta. And, you know, and he talked so much about this, this business of how colonization, right, is baked into uh, all of our institutions and the way our institutions do business, right, into curriculums, into uh, modes of uh, fundraising into ways that uh, we require, what do we require people to do? Uh, and, so, and so really revamping uh, all of the, the basic structures of our lives in big ways and little ways. Uh, this is part of this work of uh, drinking from a different set of wells. And so, um, and again, we have to realize that, that the role of the church in colonization up to this point has been to support the entire colonization undertaking. And, and this is one of the reasons why when, uh, when we try to change some of these structures, there's massive pushback, right? There's massive resistance and the resistance isn't just that, oh, you know, people are attached to what they, they like to do. And there's part of that. Uh, it's been meaningful for them. And so, and so some of that is, is very naturally just them uh, uh, as individuals trying to cling on to what has been important in their lives. But the other part of the resistance really is much more this spiritual issue. Right? It's, it's this almost kind of demonic force. Right? Because the thing about ignoring wisdom and this cult of death is that it's not just an individual kind of behavior. Right? Empire is not simply an individual activity. This is a systemic reality. Right? When, we, when we talk about the principalities and powers, um, you know, Walter Brueggemann has written about this, Walter Wink. Uh, William Stringfellow, many, many folks have, have talked about this. These systems take on a spiritual life of their own. And so, so when we uh, start to resist, when we begin to resist, we get the pushback from that spiritual force. And this is also where our spiritual life and community is so important. Because we need God on our side. This is not something. We, we cannot, you know, cross the Australian desert with our tea and biscuits by ourselves and think that we're going to do this and we're going to survive. We're not. <laughs> we're going to die. We're going to starve to death. Uh, but if we begin to enlist uh, God and wisdom on our side, uh, now we have all those things that Gregory talked about this morning. Right. Now we begin to have resources. Now we begin to have traveling companions. Now we begin to find leadership. We begin to be the leadership, right? The, the things that we need start to come out of us. We begin to find that around us. 
And so this is what our uh, spiritual life and uh, practice uh, does for us and brings to us. And this is what beginning to uh, engage the creation in a new way. This is why this starts to become so life-giving. Uh, one of my favorite uh, scriptural passages comes from uh, one of those books. You know, Protestants have done a lot of good things, but they've made a couple of mistakes, just one or two. And uh, one of them is uh, kicking the wisdom of Solomon out of the Bible. Um, and so this is a book that now, if you're a Protestant, you find in your Apocrypha, if, if you have a Bible that has the Apocrypha in it. Um, and, uh, and if you can go somewhere and find a Catholic place that has a Bible, it would be in the Catholic Bible. Of course, that's a hard thing about Catholic setups. It's hard to even find a Bible <laughs> lying around. Uh, but the Wisdom of Solomon uh, is an amazing uh, text, and uh, it was uh, written probably in the city of Alexandria in about 200 BC. Uh, so it was part of the diaspora, the first uh, diaspora. Uh, so it was written in Hebrew, even though it was a community that was living in Egypt. And, uh, and one of my uh, favorite lines from there is that wisdom is radiant and unfading, and she will meet you in every thought. She will meet you in every thought. Right? What, what a beautiful, what a beautiful concept. Right? What, what a beautiful description of relationship and interconnection. Right? This is so similar to this idea of to breathe with me is to know me. And every thought that we think, every moment that occurs, I would think about how many thoughts we have, right? We have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> and every one of them, wisdom is there. And every one of them, this incredible beauty, this incredible uh, uh, understanding, uh, this thing of priceless value. And that's throughout the wisdom literature, they're, they're constantly saying, hey, you know, Gold is nothing, silver is nothing, uh, you know, jewels are nothing. Right? Wisdom is way more valuable uh, than all of those. So a, a time of disequilibrium is also this open moment that is full of possibility. But if we're fearful and anxious, if we're withdrawing back in, if, if our stance is, oh my gosh, let's run back to Egypt. This is so terrifying. Then we miss all of that. But if we understand that, that wisdom is meeting us in every thought, uh, she's always there. And she's always there for, for all those things that we need. And the more that then we do this in community with each other, uh, the more we also get that support, right? Because there are some days when we're anxious, we're the anxious ones. And so then I need other people around to ground me. And there are some days when, you know, somebody else is the anxious one and they need somebody else to ground them, right? And so we engage in this practice together. And this is what helps us to move through these kinds of times. And of course, we'd like to know what's on the other side, uh, but we don't. You know, including the fact that, you know, maybe, maybe us humans are done. Right? Maybe there's a couple more generations and we're going to head off into another, another world somewhere. 
We, we don't know. Uh, but what we do know is that whatever happens, right, whatever the course that is set, uh, God is with us in the journey. And so that, that doing that journey with wisdom uh, is far more life-giving than without. Uh, and so, uh, so this kind of deep listening, this kind of paying attention, uh, this willingness to switch our water sources October in the U.S., we have an opportunity to recognize and celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. Even the renaming of this day from a European explorer who dismissed the histories of Indigenous people when he quote-unquote discovered this land is an act of violence and could not be further from the practice of Dadidi. Dadidi, deep listening, still awareness, acknowledges that there is a land, a people, an emergence that has always been here, but I am only now awakening to when I am intentional about listening and being still. Dr. Miriam Rose is very quick to say Dadidi is for everyone, but I must say it is very difficult for me to practice Dadidi when I am getting dopamine hit after hit scrolling through my phone and moving from one screen to another. Dan gave this lecture two years ago and yet the anxiety and scarcity from the peak of the pandemic has merely shifted into everyday isolation, greed, crisis after crisis from homelessness to climate disaster. To draw from ancient wells of wisdom is to practice a countercultural commitment. That we will not sip the Kool-Aid of consumerism and 24-hour news cycles. Instead, we will journey with others. We will practice presence now. And when we show up, we trust we are not showing up alone, but with the ancestors and cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. Perhaps Wendell Berry was practicing Dadidi when he wrote, and we pray not for new earth or heaven, but to be quiet in heart and an eye clear. What we need is here. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Dan, join us at the next online or in-person Academy retreat. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.